Hello. Hello and welcome or welcome back. You are listening to the soothing sounds of This Is Uncomfortable podcast. Mm-hmm. Brought to you by me, Katie. And me, Dana. Yay. We're here to talk to you about the things that make all of us uncomfortable. Um, some of those things are funny. Some of those things are hella depressing. Um, some of those things make us really mad. I like. We are going all, to cover the gamut. All of those things, all in one, like body hair. Yeah, Can sometimes on, all of those yes, things. Yes, touched by all of those things. Um, full disclosure, real quick for everyone, I have a brand new kitten in my house, so if I sound a little distracted, I apologize. This thing's a little wild child. So yeah, she is. It's She's perfect. crawling over the place and loving the fact that I'm in here talking and making noise and wants to eat all of the wires. So, Ooh. if you hear me suddenly pause and yell, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> or just suddenly disappear after a little bit of static. We'll know, we'll know exactly what she's gotten into. Yes. If there's a weird cut in this episode, it's because I have the cat that's going nuts. Kitty. Or yeah. Gus is barking at something in the yeah. street because that always yeah. happens. I mean, too. typical episode for us. Yeah, um, honestly, lots of lots of pet stuff here, lots of um, hopefully vulnerability and honesty. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of what we really want to bring. Is I think that that um, might be mis misconstrued in our common societies and circles as a weakness, and it is not. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually is very very empowering to be willing to mm-hmm. open yourself up like that. So we want to encourage that by talking to you about all of the things. Listen, it's still real weird. Like, when people that actually know me in real life or people mm-hmm. that don't actually know me in real life talk about listening to this podcast, I get so weirded out. Not yeah, in, like, I, a don't do that kind of way, that just, like, in, a, like, a, oh, my God, you're hearing about me talk about anal sex kind of way. It makes me feel like all, every single person who's ever told me that they listen to this podcast makes me feel like they suddenly open the door of the bathroom that I forgot to lock. <laughs> And we made eye contact. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not the fact that, like, anything wrong happened. It's the fact that, like, we share something, like, personal and embarrassing that makes me look fucking exposed as hell, but that we're both going to just be, like, quiet and chill about. That's exactly what, that's what it makes me feel like. Yep. So, you're welcome, world. Yeah. Welcome to my toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my bathroom. (laughs) The bathroom of my soul. The ba- basic, honestly, the bathroom of my soul. That's I couldn't have put it better. Welcome, which, which leads us into today's topic, <laughs> which is psychedelic drugs. Psychedelic. No better way to access the bathroom of your soul than through mushrooms. <laughs> Just unplug that toilet right up. So uh, we wanted to talk about this because. Obviously, there's a ton of stigma with psychedelic drugs. There's been a lot of history. It's, you know, many, many ancient civilizations use these kinds of things for religious ceremonies and things like that. They're still widely used for those kinds of things. But they're super illegal pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that, too. (laughs) Yeah, so what triggered this topic for me wanting to talk about it was... um, a, I think psychedelic drugs are absolutely fascinating, but mm-hmm. B, in recent years, like in the early 2000s to now, there's been more and more research put into psychedelic drugs and more and more positive results seen from that research. Absolutely. So I thought it'd be fun to dip our toes into the world of psychedelic drugs. I think that it is a great idea. I especially think it resonates for the for the exact reasons that you said. Um, I think they're, we're just at this like weird socio, like 
I don't even want to call it socioeconomic, but we're like at a weird turning point, and I think in our like social circles where we, and it might just be getting older, but I feel like we're more willing to talk about these things, and I am hearing more people being willing to talk about, this is something I want to get into later, but like even microdosing, I know that that's like, and I think that's a big thing too, apparently that's like a big tech thing and like Silicon Valley like yeah, sure. trend, but at the same time, um, it does show a lot of benefits for like mental health. So we can talk about its creative aspects, but I think a big thing that goes back very consistently through everything that I found from the very beginning of every one of these um like drugs or experiences is that a lot of the reasons they were sought out were medical or spiritual. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't, it's not, honestly, the trip tends to be the bonus in almost all of them. In most situations, it's like, oh, this is for addiction. This is for physical, actual ailments or like, or mental health. A big thing I've been seeing is like being using it for for mental health as well. Sure. So also, um, there's obviously a stigma with drug use. And I, I feel like psychedelic drugs are definitely lumped in with kind of all what I would, you know, society would consider hard drugs or heavy drugs or whatever. But I think what's also happening is there's a, a trend of wanting to break down stigmas because they can be kind of ridiculous and like pigeonhole a group of people into like this idea or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And people who quote unquote partake in you know, mushrooms or whatever, let's say, they're oftentimes considered part of, you know, like, oh, the hippie culture or whatever you want to, whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to, you know, minimize them into. And it's just not the case. Yeah. Um, the use of it is either being expanded to many, many different types of people who have different walks of life, or it's being realized that, like, um, no, like, mushrooms go back to, like, the indigenous peoples of, you know, oh, oh uh, Mexico. Honestly, yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw it everywhere. I saw it in um, in uh, Australia, Central America, Mexico mostly is a lot of yeah, there. And then Oaxaca, also like yeah. cave paintings in Spain too, like 4,000. There's a lot to get yeah. into. But yeah, that's a, a big thing too is just seeing that um, a lot of what seems to be the hippie perception might come from the fact that, okay, the people who were doing it during hippie counterculture are now the like older, more conservative generation that might have kind of outdated ideas about it because it would take them okay so like the age they would be for all of those people to age out of their like rebellion right and then have their kids and raise their families and gen x and millennials would be their kids which is the generation that kind of seems to be normalizing the conversation about it a little bit more yeah um in these like more medicinal ways if that makes right. sense not to get i mean also not to get it twisted because people still just mess around and like yeah. Yeah. Hi. Also, yeah. also very, very clear clarification here. We are not telling you that we support drug use or think you should go out and get high right now or anything like that. We're not. We just want to talk about it. We're, we're not telling you to do shit. Talking about it. This is not yeah. an advisory podcast. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about most of the time. So, that being said, yeah. Um, a lot I of it pers- is anecdotal experience that we know is anecdotal. We're not trying to give you advice on yeah. life. We're 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 here for you, and we want to open a dialogue. Yeah, Wikipedia we are not giving not, you recommendations. Yeah, Wikipedia is not a to do list for your life. Like, ooh, nice! I like that. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, I covered in my research basically like the four heavy hitters of psychedelic drugs, um, and I wanted to touch based on those four kind of like where their origins are from and then mm-hmm. maybe we can like get into the history of it does that sound good yeah go for okay, it okay so the four that i talked about or that i researched were lsd dmt 
psilocybin mushrooms, and then mescaline. So starting with LSD, it's a chemically synthesized hallucinogen developed from ergot, which is a kind of mold that grows on rye grain. So yeah. it's a mold-based um, hallucinogen. DMT is a naturally occurring plant-based psychedelic found in um, certain trees in Central and South America, but it can also be made in a lab like um, LSD is. Okay. Um, oh, but side note, ayahuasca is something that super fascinates me, but it's like a derivative of uh, DMT. It's like DMT is one of the components in ayahuasca. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. I want to talk about ayahuasca too, but it, I yeah. think... Ayahuasca is not like one substance. It's like several substances mixed together. So I just wanted to like give it an honorable mention basically. Oh, absolutely. Um, so psilocybin mushrooms, uh, they're a specific type of couple. I think there's a couple of strains, but they're a type of mushroom that's naturally occurring that has a type of hallucinogen um, on it that grows called psilocybin. And then lastly, mescaline is a naturally occurring psychedelic substance found in a certain type species of cacti, the most well-known being peyote. I did not know that mescaline was peyote. Um, so mescaline can come from several different types of cacti, but the most commonly used one is peyote, if that makes sense. You learn something new every day. I had no idea they were connected. I think because I just don't, I don't know anything about mescaline, I think I assume mescaline was one of the like pharmaceutical ones that happen to have hallucinogenic side effects. I'm sure that a lot of these can, with the exception of the mushrooms, can probably be synthesized in a lab in some form. There was a number of other ones that were just kind of like, you know, the weird CN2HO whatever, like chemical compound kind of things yeah, yeah, that yeah, were yeah. like very clearly mimicked like LSD, but were way stronger, obviously lab made, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. Oh. The, like DMT and then the DMT with the string of numbers. It looked like um, Elon Musk's like kid's name. Yeah. Yeah. That's original name. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. Not the new name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also, um, probably should have started here. So to define psychedelic drugs, they are a group of substances used to recreationally change and enhance sensory receptions throughout um, thought processes and energy levels. Their primary effect is to trigger non-ordinary states of consciousness and psychedelic experiences via the serotonin 2A receptor, um, which is like specifically the receptors which operate the part of the brain for sensory perception and cognition. Okay. So um, they like activate and mobilize deep subconscious and superconscious levels of the psyche. Um, you know, they, they tap into your brain that like are responsible for sight, touch, sound, smell, all of those things. And then also like how you perceive and like take in the world at any, at any given moment. Okay. I have a question that I want to ask you. I want to pose it now so you can think about it because I don't want to derail you. Do you think that the a person's experience comes solely from the things that they have stored in their brain or do you think you are accessing something that you can like learn from outside of yourself? Like I, cause I, you're saying subconscious and superconscious thoughts. So I, I didn't, but also sit on that for a while. Cause I don't know if it's, yeah. if you think you can pull anything else out or if it's all from what your brain does. I want to come back to that. I'm going to okay. make a note real quick though, to come back to it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So the last one I wanted to touch on, like I had mentioned earlier was ayahuasca. Um, basically it's just like a mixture of several plants made into a brew that you drink. One of those being DMT, um, commonly used in, the indigenous people of the Amazon basin, like Peru and other parts of South America. Yeah. Like a lot of these are kind of all over the world. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the four majors. Yeah. Um, that's 
My, so the ones that I looked into the most, I would say, would be the LSD, the mushrooms, and DMT. Um, I found kind of similar results with the mushrooms in the sense that, like, the history of it. So I covered, that's what I want to talk about is the history of these drugs, kind of how they came to exist. Um, the thing about mushrooms, though, is, like, they've kind of never not existed. Mm-hmm. So um, the research for that was basically kind of just seeing how far back we have, like, records of it. And there's really, really, there's, like, Guatemalan mushroom cults from, like, 4,000 years ago. There's tons of stuff like that. But the first thing I want to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, is LSD. Uh, I'm going to try to say it. I don't really even know if I can say it, but it's lysergic acid dieth dieth diethylamine diethylamine yeah, that sounds weird. okay okay it's a so, lot <laughs> it's a lot right okay so um it actually originated uh with a swiss pharmaceutical company called sandoz sandoz um albert hoffman first was working like you were talking about ergot um in 1938 so he was originally looking for a blood stimulant um and there it didn't really like yield any results so um he, five years later, he's, like, working on different uh, derivatives of it. He's been doing other things, has other research. It, it was kind of, um, like, shelved. 1943, he comes back to it uh, to just examine a certain property of it and ends up deriving, like, 24 different versions of LSD that treat different things, right? Among these are, like, something that, like, improves cognitive ability in older people. There's other ones that are, like, for mental health. Um, LSD 25, he's like working on one day and ends up like, he starts tripping, right? Like he doesn't really know what's going on, but there's a lot of, um, kaleidoscopic colors and he talks about like fantastic imagery and that was on accident. So he assumes now that we know that you can't ingest it through the, cause he just assumed some of it touched him, but we know you can't get it through your skin. So we know now that he probably touched his finger to his mouth. And ingested some on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, three days later, he has the world's first intentional acid trip. Um, April 19th, 1943. And I like the reason I pinpoint this too is because he he's like riding home from work and it's World War II. So there's, you know, there's like a lot of rationing. So he's riding his bike. He, he's not driving a car. And he's riding his bike home from work and he has the world's first acid trip on like three times the dose that he'd had when he'd had it on accident or 10 times the dose it was 10 times the dose he had ingested on accident and he at first panicked a little bit and had his assistant like call a doctor because he like you know like the euphoria and all like he was just like freaking the fuck out so um the doctor comes and mind you it's not illegal there's no research so like there's not real there's no repercussion to him calling a doctor to like hear about this right so the doctor takes his vitals and he's the guy's totally fine so after the doctor tells him he's fine he's like yeah your pupils are dilated but you're good um he relaxes and he's like yeah and then he started to enjoy the euphoria so he has the world's like basically the first like acid trip and it kind of really does give birth to it's so funny that we just talked about mk ultra because it really does end up tying into goes back to what the CIA ends up doing with that. And it's, you know, from 1943 into the 50s and 60s, um, a lot of the use was recreational, but on a professional level. Like, it was it was research, but I think once they realized how effective the hallucin- like the hallucinations were on such small doses and then it didn't have a lot of, like, adverse health effects that could... Other than the fact that the the whole bad trip good trip thing that comes from the fact that it's it's unstable so how your brain reacts to it really is like from time to time yeah so you don't really know I mean I think a lot of people who 
like regularly ingest these things do think that like there are certain mindsets that you have to go into to have a good trip and like try to avoid having a bad one but because it's unstable that was kind of really the only adverse risk so you know for those first 15 years it's just getting like circulated and there's a lot of papers being written about it it's it's becoming this international thing um In 1959, there was an international conference on LSD therapy, actually. MKUltra used it in the 50s and 60s. Uh, The early 60s, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters hosted the acid test parties in the Bay Area. So Ken Kesey was like a a Bay Area guy who uh, volunteered for one of the LSD experiments and then ended up getting um, a job on like the psychiatric ward of the hospital there and ended up actually writing uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because of his experiences there. Mm -hmm. So um, after leaving there, he had this, like, band of followers, basically, and that's who the Merry Pranksters were. And they would host, like, acid parties, and they toured the country. And, like, um, the acid test parties were mostly in the Bay Area, but, like, they would literally tour the country and, like, give people acid if they wanted it. I think that's where a lot of these, like, hippie, like, ideas come from in movies and things. So um, that was the 50s and 60s. There were Harvard experiments. Uh, the people who actually did the Harvard experiments, I think, ended up being now kind of weird. I don't want to kind of call them like fathers of the culture, but they're definitely big names in like hallucinogenic culture, right? So it's Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert. Um, a lot of their studies at Harvard were questioned because their observations of the students who were taking the acid were taken while they were also taking acid. So they were like tripping while they were, <laughs> yeah. But that also, here's the thing, what's funny about that. That might come from the fact that Sandoz in 1947, for a short while had actually patented and marketed it, marketed acid under, it's called Delicid, it's D-E-L-Y-S-I-D, right? And they used to distribute it in 25 milligram tablets for psychoanalytical therapy, but they would recommend that the doctors take it as well as their patients so that they Hmm. would understand their patients better, which... That kind of makes sense. Kind of, honestly, knowing, like, what it's like to just, like, get stoned with your friend, like, it's... What? You're bonding, you're going to be more... We talk about vulnerability, that's kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. So it had a lot more fluid use honestly until the fda got involved which is really interesting like the fda has way more power than we think it does um so 1963 is the first street appearance of lsd in liquid on sugar cubes so 1963 i'm guessing when these other people were getting it it is because they have these connect like ken kesey obviously he started getting it when he volunteered and he had he didn't have access to it but i'm sure that he still maintains some type of access to it and the other access was mostly medical and like lab formed and so 1963 was the first street appearance 1966 sandoz pharma uh recalls the distributed acid they withdraw their sponsorship research or their research for the uh, their sponsorship uh, for the research um you said that was 63 yeah so keep in mind that this is when mk ultra started yeah oh because that was 62 to 70 or 52 to 72 i think yeah, Something 52 like to 72. Yeah, because it was 50s and 60s. Yeah. That that actually so makes a lot of sense. deep into it, so they probably yeah. thought, like, you know, CIA started to realize the, you know, the impact that this would have. So that's another thing, too. Okay, so I'm going to read you a quote from, and I'm going to, any any quote that I read, I'm going to post the link of the article in our actual um, 
feed for the podcast on my website. But this says one of the most prominent LSD researchers in the 1950s was Dr. Humphrey Osmond, who believed LSD could help cure alcoholism and mental illness, um, such as schizophrenia, between 1954 and 1960. So that's the thing is, the reason I bring up this one, because I want to read, I want to talk to you about um, what MKUltra was doing, but I bring that up because 1940 and 1960, he's doing medical research with it. Like, it's not, like, the CIA having it, it's, what's wild about that is it's not even that they were using acid on the people. It's the fact that they were doing secret experiments. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, the acid was kind of just like, well, yeah, everybody was doing it then. And when people talk about that era, I thought it was exaggeration. But, like, no, we're talking basically any organization of authority was experimenting in some capacity with it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, like MKUltra was finding, like, the different factors of suggestibility and mind control and, I guess honesty when you're that vulnerable i'm there's just a lot of factors that it's so interesting that so many different people were just like yeah i just want to give this to all of my employees i want to see what happens um i wanted to i thought i pointed out the date of the the time he first did it was because it's april 19th and as we all know april 20th is like celebrated very widely as like uh mostly for weed but i know people also just like partake in general um april 19th in 1985 was the first year it was celebrated as a countercultural holiday, and they called it Bicycle Day because of Hoffman's first experience with acid. Mm-hmm. And I think that came from this, like, resurgence of information about him and kind of just, like, popularization of, like, knowing all of these factors. I don't know. April 19th was Bicycle Day, and that was the countercultural holiday, so I'm really interested that April 20th is now that day for, like, kids Maybe smoking Maybe we can pot. start a trend to have everyone just switch all of the the 420 stuff to uh, Bicycle Day because it's become such, you know, kind of like this cliche of like, oh, it's 420, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, mean, I would I, like I that. I, I like Bicycle Day better than 420. It just sounds general. so classy. Like, yeah, oh, it's Bicycle, bicycle day. day. I'm going to go home good. and celebrate Bicycle Day. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. Get on my bicycle. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. So Albert Hoffman in 1979 publishes a book called LSD, My Problem Child. So clearly very aware of um, his influence on society, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of, I would say for the same reasons that we're talking about this, like the, um, like the quieting down of that counterculture era is it, the use kind of dropped for a long time. It's not that people ever stopped using it. It's that just for a long time, it kind of just dropped. I think maybe availability to stop being as like as an, as openly available. It never went away. Um, it's always been there. I think the most popular um, forms people were saying is usually it's not as stable liquid. So people most like most like the consistency on paper blotters. So, so like when it's like put on um, paper for acid. Um May 2006, there's a survey in neurology, neurology is the name of the magazine, that shows that both LSD and psilocybin mushrooms may reduce severity and frequency of cluster headaches, right? So this is kind of, it's not the first time that there's like a reemergence of studies. There's always been medical studies going on about what these effects can have, but I think now we're seeing a resurgence of it coming back into pop culture. Right. Um, Well, there was all, it was also just incredibly taboo for so long. Um, and you know, it's, it's still a scheduled one drug and all these things. So it's like, I think 
perhaps people are starting to wake up and be like, oh, you know, maybe we should revisit these kinds of things. But there's still this like, you know, when you have this idea ingrained in your mind from the get go of, you know, this drug is dangerous. It's like, yeah, you're not willing to step out of that realm of, you know, looking at it from a different perspective or maybe reconsidering that. Like people are just so set in their ways and like what they've been taught growing up and what they believe to be true and all these things, regardless of if they have any experience with it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. So I do want to save this for when we talk at the, the, the conclusion that we wanted to talk about. Um, but I do just kind of want to mention that I, I think part of what might influence people's really broad spectrum of reactions is the inconsistency of what you're getting, right? Because the, the member like, um, I know we're going to do other drugs in another episode, but that tainted batch of meth a couple of years ago that right. made people literally like horrifically violent like Mm -hmm. those types of things happen because people like I don't want to say like oh it's it's happening because people are making it unregulated we should like make it in factories and stores but we are saying that that like the reason that there are inconsistencies in that is because it's being made by unreliable people right and people are going to do it anyway like let's let's look at history psilocybin mushrooms have literally been around for 10 thousand years Mm -hmm. longer this is bce so at least twelve thousand years and that's just what we have recorded um i'm not saying that we should like find ways to make these things for people i'm i'm thinking that a lot of these adverse ideas about what these erratic reactions are are because like when you're getting stuff like this and you are getting it on the street like are you really getting like lab made uncut acid or are you getting something that like might have mescaline in it or might have meth in it or goodness knows goodness knows what else is like that could be um interacting with you differently so you don't really know if you've ever even had like if you think that if you've ingested it and like you think that like oh i've done acid and this is my experience right what if you got it from some weird dude and you've just done mescaline and you don't know like and obviously i don't even know how you ingest it i don't know if that's liquid but there's always those possibilities when it's now it is street drugs not look at mdma i mean how yeah do you think that anyone in our circles or, or in our six degrees of separation have has ever had pure MDMA? Probably not. Um, have, mm. like, the people that we know who have done MDMA probably have also done meth when they've done MDMA? Probably so. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the thing, too, is, like, just in, in those experiences, I think a lot of people can attest to having a lot of variety in those experiences, and that probably comes from the fact that the, the, the sourcing is inconsistent, the mixing is inconsistent, you literally have no yeah. idea what you're getting. Like, we do know, we have our own ideas when we're that young about, like, what we're ingesting and what risks we're willing to take. But we all know, if you're being very honest with yourself, you have no idea what you're ingesting. You have no idea. How can you? Unless you made it yourself, which... That's even I, worse. Yeah. At that, point, at that point, Walter White, like, we gotta talk. Like, yeah. don't... <laughs> right. That's awesome. Psilocybin mushrooms, like I said... um, Cave murals depicting psilocybin mushrooms in Spain as far back as 4,000 BCE. 1,500, I mean, these are kind of out of order, but um, 10,000 BCE was the ones, um, I think, were those? Yeah, those were Australian cave paintings, uh, which would now be at least 12,000 years old. Um, 1,500 BCE, there's a lot of mushroom um, stones and, like, statues found that, like, indicate that in that region of Guatemala, there was a mushroom cult, which I'm assuming there was just like, you know, obviously vast and widespread usage. If your whole culture is like revolving around these things and like, I'm sure there's like 
no stigma around the consumption of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Western use, so a thousand BCE statues like this are also found in Mexico. They are more indicative of religious use. So there's that's another thing too. All of it has always been kind of religious, spiritual, mental health, sure. kind of like that alignment of those things. Um, Western use seemed much lower and slower. And I think a lot of that had to do with, um, like, when Spain colonized the Americas, you know, the Catholic Church kind of came along with that package. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these indigenous rituals were considered, I quote, (laughs) I wouldn't say this, uh, satanic or barbaric. So a lot of these cultures and rituals got pushed underground because they were, like, people aren't going to let go of their culture just because, like, you showed up and, like, are now demanding the taxes. Like, that's that's not really anybody else's yeah. fault for existing beforehand, right? So um, in those scenarios, a lot of those cultural, I mean, some of them obviously, like, cultures change and shift and some of them have probably died out. But a lot of those things went underground. They are still widely practiced today. Um, it's just less talked about, I think, openly. Um, other than places like here. And then obviously I have a a timeline of like a lot of people who have kind of been advocates for this type, like Carlos Castaneda and writers and, you know, mostly creatives who definitely want to talk about that. Right. (laughs) So if we bring it more into like today, um, obviously it's still illegal. It's still used or it's still kind of, um, like a loophole is religious ceremonies. Like places will allow that a lot of times. Um, obviously it's, it's still legal now in most of the world. Um, as of 2014, it's to now, it's still a schedule one drug. So a schedule one classification of drug are drugs claimed to possess significant potential for abuse and dependence and have no recognized medicinal value. So touching on that real quick, both of those statements in regards to um, hallucinogens, mainly LSD and psilocybin mushrooms, I would personally say are completely false because evidence has proven that both of these things are not physically addictive. Um, Psychologically addictive is a different story. Uh, I think that varies person to person, Uh, but there's no evidence of it being physically addictive and also there's no evidence that this causes long-term harm to mental health. Now, that being said, there's obviously extremes to everything. So if you mm-hmm. use this every day for a year, like yeah. huge <laughs> doses, you're probably going to fry your brain. Like yeah. brain fry is a real thing. Yeah. Um, so going back to saying that like this has no significant potential for abuse and independence, I would say that that probably takes it out of the Schedule 1 class already. And then also touching on um, no medicinal value. I'd like to talk about that. Because okay. I'd like to talk about psychedelic therapy and how, like you had mentioned, this is becoming kind of like a resurgence of research with LSD and with psilocybin mushrooms to target things like obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, alcoholism, depression, Cluster headaches, like you had mentioned, uh, um, distress concerning death for terminal illness, like terminally ill patients. There's been tons and tons of research on all, well, not tons and tons, there's been substantially more research on all of it. And the results have been staggeringly positive. So, um, in a 2016 study at John Hopkins University and New York University, it showed that psychedelic treatments produced statistically significant lowered anxiety and depression in the patients who participated in the study. Um, There'll be things like someone's terminally ill and they're really, really afraid of dying. And so they'll go through an LSD or a psilocybin 
therapy session or several of them and they will um, ease their fear and you know torment about dying and ha- like kind of have a like a much calmer demeanor Approach about it. it I saw that too I saw a lot about um, anxiety and terminal patients and like really like a lot of wide success in its use for that right so keep in mind these are clinical trials these are clinical studies so these are done with um, wild supervision with uh, you know medical professionals meticulous dosing meticulous dosing <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah with the most um, consistency they can possibly acquire with these kinds of things this is not people just like going home and taking a couple mushrooms and like hoping for the best that it cures their anxiety that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying yeah. is that medical professionals are using this substance as a potential um, cure for these common um, mental illnesses and mental issues right um, so that being said I think it's starting to show that like this is kind of becoming a topic that needs to be revisited and rethought in maybe a new way and I think that over time if we have enough of these studies it might become more of like a accepted or and or used thing by society by prescribed by doctors and all that kind of stuff yeah which kind of ties back into what you were saying about like not being able to control the consistency on like the yeah illegal use of it and and i would say that that's probably the biggest risk when it comes to hallucinogenic drugs doing them recreationally is that the batches will different every be different every single time um the potency of them will be different every single time probably uh, how you react to them will probably diff- be different every single time. The source will be different. Like every single factor that goes into you acquiring that LSD or that psilocybin or whatever it may be, unless it's done by a professional. So like a shaman at an ayahuasca ceremony who like grows the fucking stuff for it or whatever, <laughs> yeah. or it's prescribed by a doctor. Chances are that you're kind of having a little bit of a crapshoot with what you buy, right? Yeah, you because know, you really don't ever know. I mean, like, you do know with certain types. There's, I know there's a lot of people who know a lot about psilocybin and, like, will know certain types of trips that you'll have from certain types of mushrooms. But the other general than that, populace, yeah. but the general populace is not yeah. these people. Yeah. This and is, I like, think, one person I've ever met in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think also, like, people don't realize that, like, your size of your body, your weight, like, your current health standing, those all are a factor. Um, if you've used any drugs in the recent time, uh, if you have any previous experience with being a trip, like if it's your first trip or your 50th trip, they're going to be drastically different how much you take. Um, I think a lot of people also don't realize that it can last for like 12 freaking hours if you take enough. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, salvia lasts for like 20 seconds, right? Yeah. DMT lasts I'm... for like 10 minutes. Yeah. You take enough LSD, you could be tripping for several days. Yeah, that's absolutely possible up to well it depends on yeah it depends on a lot of factors just like you're saying but i don't really know i've never heard of a short acid trip to be honest i don't know i don't think i don't think that's a thing um but maybe you can microdose with it i don't know if there were some of these experiments that but did do you that. but do you consider microdosing tripping or do you just consider it like no i wouldn't it's like a because... lacroix of lsd <laughs> it's just the essence. It was just it's like just a, the essence, a right? whiff of it. Yeah. yeah. No, because you're right. Because the point of microdosing isn't even to do that. So, and it's mostly, honestly, when I say microdosing, I don't really, I don't really know a lot of 
and I don't have a lot of information about LSD microdosing. The most of what I know is about psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe that's maybe it's just more readily available in California. I, th- I don't well, know I what it is. I also think that um, just based on like the potency of the liquid of LSD versus the potency of mushrooms, I think microdosing with with LSD would be incredibly difficult because either you wouldn't have enough to microdose and actually feel the effects, or you would have a full on trip. Whereas yeah. mushrooms, you can take just enough to have the, like, essence of it versus a full-on trip. You know, I think you're onto something. I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's a, a lot more controllable. Because one of the factors that um, Sandal's Pharmaceuticals, when they first started doing, like, you know, research and trials on this, one of the things they were most blown away by is they had never seen a drug that in such low doses and low concentrations can give you such a trip. Yeah. So I, I don't even know if that's possible. maybe but i think um it's more common with psilocybin Mm -hmm. mushrooms for someone that's never looked into what it would be like or taken it themselves like kind of describe okay so one of the most common things is like people feel changed afterwards right yeah it's literally a spiritual experience for a lot of people yeah so in my research i found a word for that for part of that component and that is ego death so yeah i want to talk about ego death for sure so this is it kind of blew my mind so you think have you do wait before you start do you feel like you've ever experienced this yes okay no go on i've i've experienced this both with a trip and like with meditation yeah absolutely i couldn't agree with you more but yeah no okay go on no no, ego death (laughs) so ego death is basically if you think about like your ego as your self-identity it's considered a complete loss of your subjective self-identity. So what happens during the trip is that there's like a fundamental transformation of your psyche where you have this death of your ego, you feel like a complete separation of yourself, um, and then when you come out of the trip or even during the trip, you have like this rebirth of your ego or of yourself. Um, Also commonly found in Buddhism and Zen practice, and one of the quotes I found that I really loved, I wish I had um, written down who said it, but it was like, I become nothing and realize I am everything, which is, yes. is such a Buddhist, like Zen thing, right? Yeah. Like one of their biggest goals in, in life is to um, detach themselves from themselves and from everything and stuff like that. So with um, a lot of times with people who have like terminal illness or who have severe anxiety and depression or PTSD, they have this ego death that kind of helps them see the bigger picture of everything and have like this empathetic, like compassionate moment, not only with themselves, but with the world around them that really takes them out of the sense of self, like helps them see everything and then like go back in and be like, okay, now that I've seen the bigger picture, I can more clearly define or change what I define as myself or what I define as my world and stuff like that. Absolutely. So going back to your question of do you trip only what's in your mind or do you also pull things from the outside? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. I (laughs) I still don't know the answer to it. I think it probably depends. I don't know either. I think it probably depends on person to person. Um, I think it also depends on the depth of their trip and also depends on how often they do it. So if you go into this as someone who is not spiritual, who doesn't believe in like this, you know, quote unquote, woo woo stuff, who, um, is very, let's say 
I'm going to paint a picture of someone who's super materialistic, doesn't give a fuck about anyone, like, you know, is uh, very, very yeah. cl- close-minded. Like a worldly person. Yeah, like a very, very close-minded person, right? And by worldly, I don't mean cultured. I mean, like, they're very of, like, this, like, right here I and now, world. this world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you're less <laughs> likely to have this expanse of your knowledge and expanse of your mind that happens with trips where you become you come out a different person like you might just enjoy the high and the euphoria like that might be it for you yeah but i think that if you're more inclined to be open to these things to like believe that that can change you to have these kind of like conceptual ideas and like some level of spirituality whatever that might look like i think that you're more likely to have these experiences where you feel like you've reached outside of yourself and brought something new in I think there has to absolutely be a predisposition in the person to be willing to, like, look at themselves as less than invincible. Like, you Mm -hmm. can't, if you're the center of your, and here's the thing, when we say the center of your own universe, there's a a good way to have that, and there's a bad way to have that. Nobody's ever saying, like, be incredibly self-centered, but, like, you do need to matter so that you treat yourself right, so that you give the full breadth of yourself to the world. Because that's the whole reason we're here, right? Like, if you can if you can actually preserve enough of yourself and respect and love enough of yourself, you can give that back to people mm-hmm. and, like, the people that you care about. So I think it does take a certain amount of willingness to treat yourself as, like, a pliable thing. Like, you have to be going into it willing to, like know that the world is a pliable thing that not everything is I think there's you know we talk about growth mindsets and fixed mindsets I don't really know if there's like a defining factor of like what one person's trip would absolutely 100% be like but I do think your predisposition would help if you're it's kind of it's kind of like if you go into it thinking you're gonna have a bad trip you're like you're gonna have a bad trip but if if you go into it calm and like happy and knowing that you're gonna have a great trip you're going to basically have a great chance. It's like manifesting, you know, you're manifesting yeah. the reality of it. And if you're unwilling to manifest the reality where like you evolve as a person and you grow, you're probably not going to. And the thing is too, is I honestly, when I hear of a bad trip, I, I do think absolutely there are, there are times that you are just absolutely not having a good time. But a lot of the time, what seems to be happening in those situations is someone who is, kind of afraid to be where they are and isn't willing to fully be there. And it is a terrifying place to be if you can't, if you don't want to be there because you aren't going to be able to leave until it's over. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's your brain. Your your surroundings and who you trip with Mm -hmm. have such an impact on your trip. Absolutely. Like if you're with a significant other who you feel so safe with and loving with and like you're in a very safe space away from like people who are not tripping you're more likely to have a good trip. But if you're with yeah. someone like, you know, kind of in a, a, you know, like a, a painful relationship or you're out in public, like chances are... Or you're are... just like kind of having, like you're doing it with a friend you don't know that well and you both just like had access. I always feel like that's just such a dangerous idea. Like you don't know how you're going to vibe with this person. Look at you with your kitten. I can't deal with it right now. <laughs> Sorry, you guys. The kitten just chopped on my lap and is just sitting She's here. the best. Podcasting with us. Yeah. Can you say hi? There's just a myriad of factors that play into it. I mean, you go out and you take a synthetic drug, like let's say you take a painkiller, like you're going to feel the euphoric feeling of the painkiller regardless of where you're at or who you're with or whatever. But with yeah, these yeah. things, it's like, it's such a, it, it, it 
alters your mind so much that... Oh, and then there's stuff like flashbacks. Have you ever had a flashback? Yeah. <laughs> so a yeah. flashback, um, they usually only last like a minute or two, but it's a re-experience of the drug like days, weeks, months, or even years later. Um, it could be triggered by the use of other drugs, by stress, by anxiety, by fatigue, by exercise. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it stays in your spinal fluid and that's why you have them. Because sometimes if I pop my neck real deep, I'll get like weird visuals for a second. I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't know about that, but okay, that's fascinating. Yeah, don't quote me on it. I'm gonna look it up. It's probably false. Yes. But, so yeah. one thing I did want to touch on that I find kind of um, interesting. So there's a lot of clinical studies to try to help with mental illness, right, with these things. But. Um, if you have a mental illness, taking hallucinogens recreationally can be a huge, huge risk. That's what's really, I don't want to say interesting because I feel like that's taking it too lightly, but it is, it's a, it's a strange fine line between like why clinical research like this is important and what the differences are. Because again, like we talked about street drugs, you don't know the consistency, you don't know the quality, you don't really know what's in it to begin with. And, uh, a clinical like study that is dosed to your exact needs to address your exact concerns, I think yes. is very different yes. and you will have a, a wildly different experience with it. So if you hear this, that there's clinical trials with LSD being done for anxiety and you're like, Oh, I have anxiety. I'll take LSD. You could make things substantially worse for yourself. So I would probably think that you're more likely to make them worse than you are to make yeah, them better. So buyer beware, maybe don't do that. Yeah, I Unless would not. Unless you're a medical doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even then, probably don't. Yeah, also just don't take advice from us because we're, yeah. we're just here to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Drugs. Magic mushrooms. Be cautious with your life. Be Safety cautious with your life. Safety third. <laughs> I love that. Cats first. Oxygen second. Safety okay. third. Safety third. So, um, do you want to do a quick little Q and A, or do you have anything else you want to add? Um, Are you I would talking about your experiences. I am comfortable talking about my experiences. I would like to. T- I will probably talk about this throughout my experiences, but I also like my experiences have all been pretty privileged and safe. So, like it, um, I think that it it does. It's worth touching on. I think we will touch on it more when we talk about other drugs like methamphetamine and, like, the crack epidemic and things like that. But I think the argument for decriminalization, I think I mentioned this earlier, but just to touch back on um, what you're saying about, like, quality, consistency, and safety as far as street drugs are concerned and the certain factors that we have, knowing that these things are going to... um, be distributed anyway or be taken anyway, right? Like, people are pe- people found a way to get the shit anyway, right? Right. Um, uh, long-term public health looks like providing solutions that you may not agree with. Because while we don't... And the thing is, too, is the reason I wanted to touch on it is decriminalization is very different than legalization. Um, we're not saying like we want it to be sold on corner stores and regulated for domestic use. We are saying that decriminalization is important to find ways to better help society in the long run versus just punishing people, right? And it also stops so many roadblocks with medical research with it. 
Exactly. So decriminalization versus legalization, very, very different. Not talking about legalization, talking about decriminalizing these drugs so that they can be addressed as like the social issue, social and public health issues that they are versus being treated as like a crime that needs punishment. The crimes that need punishment are the like the illegal distributors and people who are harming people to make sure these things stay distributed. Right. Like when we're talking about like coke and all of these other things definitely factor in but when we're talking decriminalization of hallucinogenics um i don't want it sold at rite aid but i don't think people need to be going to jail for it and not getting any kind of like actual like do you want to help these people do do you think that maybe they might need counseling If, if they're doing it for mental health maybe we can find ways to provide counseling if they're doing it for recreation maybe that counseling will provide them a common group of people who they can connect with. Like there are just other ways to approach this. And I think society has a lot of decriminalizing to do in general. So (laughs) I think lumping um, magic mushrooms in with methamphetamine or heroin is probably not a accurate uh, comparison. It's almost like uh, giving people life sentences for selling weed. Yep. Almost as, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe these things just don't fucking make sense and we should change them. But, you I know, mean, that's listen, just my opinion. The United States government doesn't make sense. And here's that's how I know that. That's because it's broken! Um, super, super anecdotal, not related to this at all, but I had to file taxes for the first time ever. And I spent months trying to figure out what the fuck to do with taxes and it's like it's written in another goddamn language. Why does something that every person in the United States has to deal with the most complicated thing in the fucking world? So my undergraduate degree is in political science. One of it's political science and journalism. Um, one of the things that we covered in one of my senior seminar classes is that bureaucracy is literally built into the system to slow the system down. Bureaucracy, the definition of the word, is literally to slow us the fuck down. So don't think it's not on purpose. And also the thing is too is it's not it's not that it's not complicated because the finances of it do get kind of nitty-gritty and complicated, but don't think that the language isn't complicated on purpose. Like Yeah. That's intentional. Absolutely. I have um so I'm operating under an LLC, so I have to file four different types of taxes. Oh, wow. Um all of them vary based on different numbers. Um, some of them are based on money that I haven't even made yet. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I can't imagine. Oh yeah. The projected ones are fun too. Yeah. Yeah. But when you overpay those, when you overpay those, you get money back. So that's cool. No, fuck that shit. I don't want to give the federal government a goddamn loan with no interest. Ooh, good point. Why aren't you giving me interest? That's why tax returns should be as small as possible. Here's my soapbox for the day. If you are getting a massive fucking tax return, you are loaning the federal government a long-term loan with zero interest, and all it does is hurt you month to month. Increase your fucking withholdings. Do not give them that benefit of the doubt. Try to get as close to a 0.00 tax return as you possibly can. Fuck the federal government. Okay, okay. okay. I love this. I fucking love this. I love the soapbox. I just learned some shit, too. I didn't even think about that. Short-term rewards, man. Short-term rewards. I got heated off that. Yeah, no, but it'll... That's the thing. It's convoluted on purpose, and that's, like, a really annoying thing to have to admit about the government that's technically there for you. (laughs) I usually adjust my withholding several times throughout the year. Um, When I was a W2 employee, I would revisit it every single, like, two months. 
and readjust my withholdings based on that. So I owed if less than $100 or I got less than $100 back. And it was really fucking hard, but man, it was worth it because every time I felt like I was giving a middle finger to the federal government. Okay, okay. Yeah. Mad respect, dude. I had no fucking yeah. clue. I like if you, this. If you imagine that millions and millions of people are giving them a long-term loan of money they earned, and, like, we're getting this, like, perceived reward at the beginning of the year for our own fucking work. It's Literal like fucking the, crumbs for the nothing. The most frustrating thing you can think about it when you start to get into, like, the actual reality of it. Because it's a broken system. Yeah. That's so. just... Sorry for that it. tangent. No okay. problem. Back to whatever we were talking about. <laughs> you wanted to add, you wanted to dive into personal experiences. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, full Look disclosure, you I have per- I have personally done um, mushrooms and LSD. Mm-hmm. I used to want to do ayahuasca until like literally yesterday when I started researching it, and it, I just I don't think it's for me. It sounds yeah. like a very intense experience, and yeah. also I was reading that like people in like you know the western world going to these ayahuasca retreats and like experiencing with real shamans is a little bit of a cultural appropriation and i respect that and i don't really want to like uh-huh. impede on something that i'm not a part of the religion or whatever you know yeah i'm just not down for it to turn into a carnival in 10 years yeah yeah, yeah. I, like, I'm I like res- that's not for me to decide if, if people want to like monetize their trade not trade but like their like their rituals that that's that's on them but yeah. like I totally agree on with you in the sense that like I'm wondering who was the first person to start one of these retreats you know what I mean because if it was some yeah. old white dude uh, yeah like yeah. I, I respect your culture and I feel I know I like I respect that if me going in wanting to experience this thing with like legitimacy like the legitimacy of a shaman around yeah. Because I feel like I wouldn't want to do it otherwise. Like, if Absolutely. that's cultural appropriation, I respect that and I don't need to do it. Exactly. I, I agree with both of those reasons on, like, I couldn't even have put it a better way. It's just, that's the only way I would want to do it. It seems inappropriate for me. Some things are just not for you. Like, that's, I think that's yeah. something that some people forget in parts of the world is that, like, not everything in the world is for you. Like, that's, that's just what it is. Um I also would be absolutely terrified. <laughs> like I, um, that's it's one just, of the few that I'm like, that just seems like a little much for me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go there, but I'm not willing to go that far, which, which is yeah. what, the same thing that you're saying about the shaman. That would be the only situation I'd feel safe doing that. Well, that's and the only situation. If that's say not you for me, it's it not under. for me. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. They're I don't like, think it would no, be safe otherwise. That, yeah. That everywhere I've read, it's like, no, you need to be somewhere where someone knows what the fuck they're doing. They are like designated towards this. They are well versed in it. Like, this is such a serious thing. You can't just like do it willy nilly at fucking Burning yeah. Man. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've seen too. I remember seeing a documentary a long time ago about ayahuasca being used to like overnight treat addiction, and like, was it ayahuasca? I want to make sure Probably. if it, it was ayahuasca or ayahuasca you said is the mixture. So this might've been a peyote there. I don't remember what it was, but it was something along those lines. It was very ritualistic, but unbelievably intense. And yeah. like, it was really interesting to see, but it also, um, I don't know. I, I, it just seemed really intense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, the first question I wanted to ask you, um, is how would you describe, like, the general idea of what a trip is like? Um, well, I think that there is a spectrum of them. Um, mm-hmm. I would describe it most as, like, a roller coaster in the sense that, like, there's, like, a slow beginning and sometimes, like, you're usually, like, if you're at the amusement park, it's usually, like, a nice day and you have time to, like, 
look out at the cool park that you're at and you kind of start to get excited for what's to come or whatever. And then there's like that first drop, right? And what I mean by the first drop is that like first rush of hopefully serotonin, hopefully adrenaline. Like, um, I'm not going to lie. I would, I have noticed as I get a little bit older that, um, psilocybin experiences have gotten like intensely euphoric for me to the point where like, I can, like my heartbeat will get, like, I can, I can feel it get more intense which in the past, I don't feel like it had ever been um, as much of a physical experience for me. Um, mm. But that was always, I think, something that kind of like escalated with a little bit of time. But I think that also comes with purity, because if it's if it's if it still feels like euphoria, it's just like really, really exciting. And like my heart will race a little bit. Um, I ha- I think the thing about mushrooms is that it feels more it feels more like you are having a really, really great day, but it can be more background. And I've also noticed that it's very, very giggly. If like you're getting like the, the cert- like the type of euphoria is just, it's what people tell you smoking weed is going to be like when you're yeah. just like laughing, but you're also not laughing like guffawing in like the, 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 that 70s show basement. Like you're like, everything is very, very joyful and mm-hmm. it's super, super fun. I don't feel like those last anywhere near as long. Um, I, we also just don't take intense amounts of them either. Like I'm not going to be taking a whole bunch. So it doesn't, it doesn't last for more than like four or five hours. And that's like something that that's a lot. And that's honestly at that point it's enough. And we're usually like, um, one thing I do notice too with, uh, a mushroom experience is, and I don't know the science behind this, but this is what I've been told is I'll start to notice during a come up that I'll start yawning a lot. And you usually yawn because your brain needs more oxygen um, which I think, or your body needs more oxygen and it's like your way to do it. And that's what, how your body fights like being sleepy. But I think that the yawning, um, is also your brain's way of being like, Hey, I'm extra awake. Thanks. <laughs> like, yeah. thanks for the treats. We're going <laughs> to, we're here on full blast now. So, yeah. um, I always have noticed that. Yeah. Um, acid is definitely what you were saying earlier about the long trips. Um, really, I've had really long trips when you were saying that. I know it was because of the way that we dosed, but I will be fully honest about this. Um, in one of my experiences, I did uh, acid throughout the day in Goa, which is a small little part of India. Um, and we tripped for th- probably 36 hours. Oh, yeah. That just yeah. sounds so tiring. It was. I came back a different person. Not in a bad way, but like it was... Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> so one of the cliches or like one of the things that people always say is like you see things that aren't actually there. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? Um, here's what I think that comes from. I've never experienced things not there. I have experienced like I think your eyes because they're just I don't know what's going on like physiologically, but your eyes are doing different things and your pupils are dilating. So they're perceiving light differently. So I have definitely in um and India was probably the most intense I saw. Like, the whole sky was really, really pretty, like, rainbow um, hexagons and, like, triangles. But it was that same, um, Albert Hoffman called it a kaleidoscopic effect. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been extra pure because I, I had never seen that before. And it was really bright and it was very clear. And I really do think it was something with your eyes maybe dilating and, like, you know, that layer of things that you always see on your eye anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have seen that, but I do think that when people talk about seeing things that aren't, oh, actually, no, I have, I have, because that same night (laughs) I was looking in the waves, but again, it's your imagination. It's not, and you have to be present enough to know the difference between something manifesting and just appearing in front of you and your imagination 
being creative enough to like put more dots together. Like we talk about those, um, those pictures that aren't complete and your brain completes them. So you don't notice they're not. So I remember looking in the water, we like went to the beach and I remember looking in the water and the white foam, we were on this pier and the white foam that was crashing against the pier kept looking like a whole bunch of octopuses because it was like a, you know, there were the lines and then there was just like the accumulation of the white foam. And I imagined it. And as soon as I told myself to imagine it, I remember willing it to like become more like that and just like playing with it as a visual. But I've always been able to control it much more than I've heard other people talk about what about you it's it's not a matter of like someone walks into your house that you don't know and starts talking to you and that's your manifestation yeah no you know it's like you take what's already in existence like there's a little tiny desk fan on my desk that could turn into something that looks different than a desk or like blooms into a flower because it's going pretty fast and that would be cute yeah just like little things like that that you imagined so the the closest i can say um i can give a recommendation to someone who wants to know what it's like to be on mushrooms Go watch Midsommar. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> it like Sorry. straight up triggered me yeah. watching that movie. Yeah, same. The way that the flowers breathe, the yeah. way that the things on the table move in like a swirly pattern, it, the way everything's so vibrantly beautiful and like vivid. I would say that's one of the biggest things that stands out for me for Mushrooms versus Acid. Um this might sound very hippy dippy, but mushrooms feel like they were something that like grew up in the ground and they is like feel a natural earthy thing. And like natural and mm-hmm. acid feels and synthetic acid feels and robotic. Clean. Yeah, it's like clean, sterile. This is the experience. This is yeah. how long you're gonna have it. You're here for a twelve hour shift. Fucking yeah. buckle up, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I could not agree it, more. Yeah, but it, I couldn't agree with you more about Midsommar because the first time I noticed the fucking breathing on the screen, I was I just looked over at Sam and I was like, I First of all, the ability—I've never seen um, a, a like a visual mimic of what your eyes can do that is actually accurate. That's not yeah. like the, again. I'm gonna bring up that '70s show because they had those interludes where they'd be like playing in flowers and like turning. Yeah, you know like what I mean? Tie dye behind you. All the like not, psychedelic not, and no, no, no and then no. I think the tie dye comes even from like the kaleidoscopic color that you know it's probably just like refract. I don't know what it is. Um, I do think that all of those experiences were probably exaggerated because there weren't more sophisticated like editing ways to show them in movies and TV. But I mean, Midsommar was the way everything breathes. I could not have seen something more accurate to mushroom. Like that was the first time I watched that movie. It was honestly, um, the accuracy of it was honestly distracting for me to take away from like the plot of the movie. Yeah. And so I I found that when I watched the movie the second time, I absolutely love that movie. Mm -hmm. I love horror films. So, I mean, if you could take, like, the, the, the horror out of it, like, that's that's an acid trip, basically. Um, yeah. It, the second time I watched it, I was able to, like, actually take in more of, like, the plot and what was going on. Because I wasn't so mesmerized by, like, the ability of these people the to flowers and actu- the accurately and... capture what it's like to, like, see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably for the first half of the movie, all I could say to Sam was I was like, this is so accurate. Because it, yeah. it, I don't think I've, I've seen that before in film. So that was really cool for them to do I kind of really wonder well I mean there's like a lot of new technology that yeah filters that I'm sure could do but it was gorgeous I will add that on top of it you feel um obviously like you feel euphoric you feel very calm and like happy um the first time I did mushrooms all I did was giggle for like eight straight hours like yeah like everything was so 
fucking funny. Dude, to the point where you're like, you're just tired because your face hurts and you're tired of laughing. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm laughing now thinking about it because of like how pure the joy is. And it's yeah. over, it's over shit that like is actually funny. But then sometimes like, you know, I, it's me and it, I'll just like go out in the world and I'll start laughing over like really dark, weird shit. I'm just like, mm-hmm. look at everybody just acting like everything's normal. And I'll just like realize like, right, you got to calm down. This yeah. is not the place um, to do this. So with those visuals, like being super giggly, I will say that you really feel like the word I would use is grounded and yeah. like just like, it's so hippie, but it's like, you really feel like connected to your earth and like the world around you. Yeah. And like, you can like relate to things on a, a different level, which sounds so bizarre to say sober, but it's just this weird thing that kind of happens where you just like, you're in the wilderness and you're tripping balls and you're like, I appreciate this earth so much more so much like, they're I so <laughs> fucking beautiful like the color thing is what probably is like gets me the most is like things are just a different color they're yeah. just so so vivid it's like you cannot achieve that level of like it's like the um the saturation has been turned up in like a really beautiful way in your life i would really be interested to know more about the drug experiences of people who don't see Oh, there was actually a Reddit thread on that. Okay. Um, quick pause. Let's pull that up and I'll revisit that. I'm just going to summarize basically a couple of the main points. But uh, commonly, you know, it, it obviously changes your perception of things in terms of your sight. So for blind people, it really uh, it still gives the euphoric feeling and makes them feel um, grounded and all of that. But it increases the way they perceive um things that they touch or feel and also sounds so um some of the things were like i could feel the sounds i was hearing or like someone came up and hugged me and it felt like we became one thing with like two heads and four legs or four four legs and four arms like we became one being so it's just like the things around you that you feel hear and smell become so intense that's really interesting too because i know that in general um you tend to have higher like heightened senses so Mm -hmm. that would only help that that would be dang that would be intense one of the things that they said was um that the way that they perceived how the sun felt on their skin felt different so instead of feeling like a wave it felt like particly or vice versa or something like that where that's amazing the feeling of these things felt different that's amazing so maybe like the feeling of like putting lotion on your hands would feel like ordinarily it would just feel like you're moisturizing your hands right but to someone who's blind and tripping it it would feel like you're adding layers of skin or like you're putting a warm blanket like thin blanket. it would just feel more i think more texturally it would just be like a more sensual experience i think because when i think about it i'm 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 clearly just talking about visuals because all of those things I do also experience, like probably not as heightened, but like, you know, doing things like that feels great. Like cold water tastes even more amazing. Like there's so many things that are much more um, like vibrant feeling Mm -hmm. in that state. If you've ever had a terrible headache or a migraine and it like affects your sense of smell to the point where you can potently smell what someone's eating, like two cars ahead of you in traffic or you can smell like the garbage needs to be taken out. It's stuff like that, but in a, for me, a positive twist. 
Yeah, I agree. I do yeah. think what's interesting is that, like, my eating completely changes on both of those things. Like, I, like, have a tendency to, like, not really be able to eat meat. And um, I become much more, like, texturally aware of things. Like, I don't. I, <laughs> I get I, weirded I, out. I honestly, this is if I eat at all because I just, like, don't yeah. want to. I just don't feel yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. So what advice would you give yourself, like, the day before you did your first trip? Like, if you go back in time and be like, Dana, you're going to trip tomorrow. Here's the advice. Honestly, I had really good friends and a really good support team. So, like, I I don't think I'd do anything differently. But the advice I would give other people is trust the people you're doing it with. Um, again, I'm not advocating that you do this. I'm just saying if you do. No. Trust, trust the people that you're with. And I'm not saying, like, I mean... These need to be people that you know have your best interest at heart, whether or not you're there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you are not at the table, they are still going to be looking out for you. That's the kind of person that you need to be doing these things with. Um, start slow. You do not need to... No fucking hero doses here, okay? No need for that. Um, you mm-hmm. can always take more. You can't take less. Don't be that motherfucker at the, a- at the ER. Just don't. And probably have, like, a designated area... So uh, people on your team, obviously, but have a designated area that's indoors. And if you can, have a designated area that's outdoors. Because being able to spend time outside, I think, is absolutely one of the perks of that. Um, Even at night, even in daylight or nighttime, going on walks is one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're by water, that's always really nice. But please be extra, extra careful. We are not, like, don't... Just, I think that's why I also say go slow. Like, don't don't yeah. start with anything. Whatever your friend recommends, take a little bit less. Because you don't know. You yeah, don't know how you're going to react. Take half of that. Take half of that. You yeah. keep the other half. You, you can just take it later. Yeah. What about you? What I would have told myself. Don't be around the public or in, like, a public place where people mm-hmm. can come up and talk to you. Yeah. That's my biggest piece of advice. Yeah. Um... The other thing I would say is, like, just chill the fuck out. Relax. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And remember that you're not going to get stuck this way. So I say that because the last time I took mushrooms was several, several years ago, and I had a really bad trip. And it's kind of scarred me from taking any more. So mm-hmm. I'd like to give a nice little word of caution to anyone who's thinking about this because I know that we just talked about how great they are. First of all, don't. Just you're fine without it just go yeah you don't summer. you, you, get the you idea don't need it. to do it yeah yeah <laughs> but um bad trips are real and they're pretty fucking terrible and yeah you can't get out of them they last four hours yeah yeah so i would just you know <laughs> have you ever cried through an entire mushroom trip um i haven't cried through an entire one because the bad trip i had it was I mean, like, I've, like, laugh cried, but the bad trip I had was uh, outside where, like, people were approaching us. Oh, God. And um, by the time I got back to, like, the house and, like, was by myself, I have never cried so hard in my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I think that was one of the most intense cries I've ever had, and it was for, like, two hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I cried for a long time. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so bad trips are real. They actually happen. Uh, I think mine was, A, because I was in public. B, I was with people who I didn't really trust at the time. And C, I took a lot. I took a hero dose like an idiot. Same. Same. All of those things. Yeah, I would advise about all of those things. Don't do it. Um, Honestly, a baby trip is better than a real trip. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is I've noticed as I get older, like, okay, maybe that's something that you can experiment with now if you, like, have any need to. But, like... 
the baby trips I always remember much more fondly. Um, even the good trips that were super intense, I still remember with a little bit of fear because no matter what, that feeling can get overwhelmed. Even the euphoria can get overwhelming if you're tired and you want it to stop and it just doesn't, right? Like that's, yeah. and it is one thing I do want to remind people of is that like that feeling of it never being able to stop. It's because it's like an internal physiological reaction and it is going to be over and you're going to be okay. Just, you need to calm down. (laughs) It's kind of like when you're in the middle of a panic attack, panicking about something that may or may not be super irrational part of you knows that you don't need to be panicking about it but the other part of your brain that is panicking is overriding all of that rational thought so imagine like that but your body is literally poisoned by this poisonous fucking mushroom <laughs> and so you cannot control it yeah and that's, like this isn't a matter of taking and going through your bloodstream that's it yeah this is like taking too many edibles and expecting it to just go away if you drink water not gonna this happen is like, this is like having food poisoning just because you want to stop throwing up doesn't mean it's going to happen yeah exactly oh you're it's literally food poisoning though oh that's yeah, another thing i would say if you're doing mushrooms also like try to do something that makes them easier to ingest because most likely you'll get nauseous from them because i don't know that's always yeah. been my experience you're you're poisoning yourself it's a poison yep what do you expect <laughs> we're yep yep yeah, it's so. it's <laughs> i feel so responsible right now <laughs> I feel like such a good mature adult. But what's really interesting about this is when you when you asked about hallucinating, the only time and this was because I have an astigmatism. It was really late at night and there was like a lot of lights and it was raining. But like this was a, just a situation I shouldn't have been driving in. But it was super late at night and I had been smoking earlier in the day, and I imagined I saw a, a bicyclist coming up on my right side that I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not see you before? And what it was, was the reflection of the red light behind me showing up in like a side view mirror of somebody like next to me or something. Mm-hmm. But that was the only time that I feel like I've ever full on hallucinated because I thought I straight up saw a bicyclist and I got but freaked that out. Can, that can happen like sober too. That's There's true. been times where I've that's been true. like, whoa, shit. Okay. That's not real. It's like, oh, that's a, that's a piece of paper. Okay. Yeah. I have long yeah. hair that uh, falls out a lot, so I'm constantly hallucinating about uh, bugs being on me. I mean, it's not hallucinating, but I'm imagining that that's happening because I'll, like, touch it and I'll freak out, and it's just a piece of my hair. It's not um, It's not a spider. I'm okay. I get those, like, little, like, balled up little balls of hair in my laundry that, like, it's, like, sewn into your shirts, you know? Yeah, because, like, the force of the washer. spiders inside of my shirt. <gasps> when I, okay, here's my thing. Washing a blanket and then having a little bit of lint that accumulates and doesn't get taken off the clothes and it's, like, stuck to the clothes on a certain spot and I, like, put the blanket out and you see that and you freak, I'm like, oh my god, it's a spider! Yeah. So it's not, it's not always the drugs. Yeah. Sometimes, oh, but also sometimes you see that and you think you're having a flashback because you're like, oh, I saw yeah. it move. Have you had flashbacks? I personally never had a flashback. Yeah, I personally have not. Yeah, I don't mind them, actually. Because I'm not scared of them and they're not intense, but, like... I will, I will say, like, the next day I'll have, like, those, like, woo, woo, yeah. woo feelings where it's, yeah. like, you feel, like... Whew, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But never, like, a, a visual or auditory flashback. No, I don't think I've ever had an auditory one, but I definitely will sometimes get visuals in the sense that... Um, like patterns will still squiggle for me or little things. But it's honestly at this point, I think what it is is that because your brain knows what it looks like when it loses shape like that, you can just remember if you have yeah. clear enough memories of it. If you remember it and you're staring at that pattern, it might also just be like a, a like a somatic. I don't know if somatic is the right use of this word here, but it might just be psychosomatic for me thinking that I'm doing that 
and it's actually just me remembering very vividly. I think um, what blew me away the very first time the most was seeing those kaleidoscopic shapes on like, you know, we were laying on the beach and looking up at the sky and like, Mm -hmm. you see like, you know, uh, little octagons and like crazy shit like that. And they're like, were they folding and changing? Cause yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was just, I, I was so mesmerized by the fact that my brain could manifest that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'd be down for this all the fucking time. Yeah. This is like the coolest (laughs) shit ever. Um, the, these patterns are beautiful. I'm not really down for, like, breathing things. Yeah. But seeing, like, the kaleidosco- kaleidoscopic shapes and stuff, like, in the sky, was so beautiful, so mesmerizing. Um, like, it was just, it was wild. I don't I mind the I breathing. Couldn't that, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that my mind was capable of that. I think that's one of that, that's where that question comes from, is that, like, it's like, okay, this is a reaction to a toxin for sure. So it's probably just affecting the way that my brain is perceiving these images. But also, my brain is perceiving these images under the influence of 500 other things at any other time of the day. So, and it's, I know this is a silly thing to say, and it's like, sounds very stony, but like, how is this any different in the sense of like, you don't know which one is real because your eyes are a machine anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I've always, like, you are, you are a, a, a machine of perceptors, right? All your, you're, you're perceiving things, you're interacting with things. Okay. You're not really quite sure what's what's on the other end. <laughs> I, I'm ready to answer the question. Answer it. I think what we find in a trip is only what's in our own mind. Okay. Kind of like Yoda and Luke in the cave. Yeah. What's in there is only what you take with you. Okay. Mic drop. Bam! <laughs> that was a beautiful mic drop. Yes. I, I think that, uh, you know demons and scary things and good things don't come in there unless they're already inside of you you know they don't absolutely they don't i agree with you out of nothing i think that's what people say or what people are mostly talking about when we talk about making sure you're like in as best of a place as possible mentally before you go into something like this and kind of just the thing is is like you just need to do everything responsibly. If you don't feel like you're in the headspace to do this, don't fucking do it. Like, it's yeah, just not the day. That's, that's just, just how you should live your life. Yeah. Like, I, I think we get very caught up in the things that we're supposed to do and the things that we assume people expect from us. Or, honestly, peer pressure in these situations is fucking massive. Um, I did notice that maybe it was just because I was such a, like, late bloomer in, like, everything um, that the numbers were, as, like, astonishingly younger for me than I expected them to be for, like, when people started experimenting with drugs. Um, so that was a little bit surprising, but I guess that's kind of more on me and, like, my own. That's and that's because I'm using my own anecdotal experience, right? Like, I yeah. didn't try really any of this stuff until I was, like, after 20. So mm-hmm. it's not... Um, some of that, I think, had to do with... The only thing that we know we shouldn't be doing is, like, messing with our brain development, and our brains are literally not done developing before then so that's my only piece of like actual like the only reason I would absolutely say don't do drugs but other than that like I I do think a lot of that comes from um the types of laws that we make for general populations and not individual adults you know yeah I think in terms of having the philosophy that people should be given the opportunity to choose what they do with their own lives um if you're responsible about it and you make your own decisions and do your research and this isn't some flippant decision one day, I think that, um, you know, that's, that's your choice. 100%. Yeah, Uh, I agree. This is obviously a very serious thing. This is still a schedule one drug. It's still illegal. Uh, 
for that reason alone is enough to not do it. Yeah. Uh, being caught with these drugs, like, in your pocket would be detrimental to your fucking life. Yeah. So, uh, but then again, you know, I'm not really, like, down a sign-on board with, like, that kind of government control a lot of times. That's the thing is that we're, I think right now we're saying don't do it because of these consequences, but the bigger thing that we're saying is these consequences shouldn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I think there should be some regulation on it for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, regulation. But, I mean, that's that's what I mean, though, about, like, not legalization, but definitely decriminalization. Yeah, you but, like, I mean? you're not even given the choice right now. Absolutely not. It's That's that's why it's... I don't want to like, legalize it. I don't want to, like, again, not trying to sell it at Rite Aid. Just don't think people should be getting life sentences for it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Hopefully that wasn't totally convoluted and sounds like we're, A, promoting it, B, not promoting it. I'm trying to be as unbiased as possible, talk about this fascinating thing, and provide some anecdotal personal life experiences from my very few experiences in this. And forever kiss goodbye any career with an outside company other than ones that we start ourselves. Yeah. For the love of God, mom and dad, don't listen to my podcast. Stop listening to my podcast if you're related to me. Stop. Yeah. Get out yeah. of here. Get out of here. Turn it off now. If you're on a personal or professional level or you're my family member, please, I love you, but stop. Stop. You gotta go. You gotta go. (laughs) I'm gonna be busting myself out a lot here. Ask me in person. Here's here's the thing. Actually, one or the other. If you do listen, don't ever fucking talk to me about it. I don't care. I don't ever want to hear that you talk. I don't. I just want to send this out into the ether and not be approached in real life and be told like, oh, I, I heard... I heard your butt play episode. <laughs> Did you? Fantastic. Let's oh get coffee. God. Yeah. Is this one of those things that we like put it out there and then it's just going to come back to haunt us forever and ever and ever? Yeah. Life? Yeah. What happens when we have kids? Um, Do we delete all of these? Archive, archive, archive. Okay. <laughs> We'll switch to a parenting fucking podcast at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. All kids see. are assholes. Yeah. Oh, and that'll then... be fun. Or maybe it'll just still be this is uncomfortable and we'll just talk about... Kids are uncomfortable, dude. That's fucking... That's that's the queen. Yeah. That's the, the So if you ever see a childbirth episode on here where Oof. we recount personal experiences, you better get in all these old episodes listened. As fast as you can in that first year. to be removed yeah so i would say countdown from childbirth episode i'd say 17 months eight 17 17 months after that that's the 17 month countdown for you to listen to the previous episodes before they get archived and sent to hell because my kid is not hearing me talk about my butthole like that i'm sorry but also i'd be down to just archive things after like a 10 year period let's just archive everything today yeah (laughs) okay bye everyone bye see you later On that note, let's end this episode with some nice deep breaths to calm our nerves. Calm our nerves. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and inhale for four. Hold it for four. And exhale. Okay, once more. Inhale. Hold. And exhale.
We don't need to archive anything. It's fine. No, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. <laughs> My kids will love me anyway, right? It's it's fine. All right. It's we love fine. you guys. We love you. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>